Happy post Avengers Endgame hangover, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Excalibros. Snap. S snap. Unsnap. Crackle. Unsnap. Pop. <laughs> snap and unsnap. Uh, yeah, this is this is this is the day, the weekend of. We're recording the weekend of Avengers Endgame coming out. <clears throat> and you know, spoiler alert: Dan and I really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, so if we uh, have trouble concentrating, we really apologize because <laughs> it's really all that's on our mind right now. <laughs> uh, but we got three, three interesting issues to cover. You know, uh, Dan, we just recorded with Jason the other day, uh, and those are not really enjoyable books, and it was really hard to. I don't know, sink my teeth into those books. But but these these three issues we're going to talk about, um, not that they're like the best issues we've ever read, but were much more enjoyable to read and easier to concentrate on. Pretty much. So <laughs> we're going over Excalibur number 15, uh, Exiles number 16, and Gen X number 4 this week. So, uh, Dan, why don't we jump into Excalibur number 15. Uh, we are at, I don't even know what part of the cross time caper, but we're right in the, the middle of it. Um, and what, what do we have on the cover here? We have um, Gatecrashers, giant happy face, and some of the other members of the tech, well, parts of the other members of the um, tech net. And I like it because it's just weird. Like, it's just... Her face is hilarious. I find her very um, interesting to look at. And I like the colours. And it just... I don't know. I I can only imagine what it would have been like when you were collecting Excalibur back in uh, the 80s where, every, like, instead of the team, we now have, like, one of the enemies on the front cover just smiling. <laughs> it It is great that it's just zoomed in on her. It's almost like she took a selfie and her friends are sort of kind of trying to jump in behind her. Um, but the issue yeah. is all about... Gate Crasher, so it makes sense that she's on the front cover. Hi, which is a rare thing. Um, <laughs> in fact, I think I think I generally think all of the covers this, this time round actually have a relevant to the insides. Wow! There you go, free for free. Well, we have uh, we'll have a, a few weird things, interesting, problematic things to talk about this issue, but at least it'll be something to talk about. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, we start off in the old pier of Brighton, England, uh, with uh, the TechNet uh, jumping into Impossible Missions. I think I just slurred that. Let me try that again. Impossible Missions. Uh, with uh, Chris Claremont as the writer, Alan Davis as penciler, Paul Neary as the anchor, Tom Wozniczowski and Mike Niesler as the letterers, uh, Glennis Oliver as colorist. And uh, those are our uh, creative players this time, which is, it's great to see all of our favorites on here. Yeah, it is a good good thing. And immediately it's got, like, you've got a really beautiful, like, page of the TechNet just doing what they do best, which is being weird. Um, yeah. Eating, eating things. Everyone seems to be gorging on uh, something. I like the two that are playing cards. And one of them, the one that looks the weirdest is literally, is he smoking? Yes. Oh, he's got an ice, oh, no, it's an, an ice cream. cream. It's an ice cream, yeah. Oh, for a second there, I know it's the other guy smoking with a, a pipe, um, the lizard thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
This could not get any weirder. Uh, so they're there, and uh, Mr. Nigel Frobisher um, has arrived, and he has a job for the TechNet. Um, and they explain, uh, Geekcrasher and Frobisher explain that they need to rescue Brian Braddock's older uh, brother, James Braddock, uh, who has been captured by Doc Croc, who is this? <laughs> is this the character that existed before <laughs> this issue? I feel like it is. I don't know. I'm not it. I'm not it. It's, it's it's not original. That's all I'm gonna say. This is. I mean, this has some of like the most wonderful Excalibur stuff and the most problematic Excalibur stuff in it, uh, especially around the James <laughs> rescue. Um, but I. I wanted to ask you this: the second page here, where Gatecrasher's kind of using a, a holographic uh, tool to explain the mission, and everything's sort of colored in yellows and greens. What, what did you think of the color work on this first page? I think um, it feels like classic Excalibur. It feels like um, the usual, because often Oliver drowns out uh, pages when they're doing like light, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Uh, when Phoenix is doing her her bit. Right, and I quite like the fact that um, the uses of dark, like a dark, the blacks and the dark greens, to shadow out the characters as well. Right, I think it's really um, sort of. I hate the colors; they're not the colors I like in in the world. But I think it it works because it kind of like it's like sickly colors to go with like the weirdness of the technet. Right, and so it kind of makes sense. But then it all gets cut short by someone throwing pastry at. Uh, creature. Yeah, so. I mean, we have no shortage of uh, the technet infighting uh, throughout this this issue, which is wonderful. Uh, yeah, so they they get their mission, and some of the uh, the, the technet lackeys start complaining. The Gatecrasher, um, there's a little bit of infighting, and then Gatecrasher and half the team sort of jump off to go and rescue James, and uh, they leave uh, Nigel with uh, like five other members here. And he looks like the prettiest man right now, after his yes. like makeover. Yeah. yeah, he's definitely got. He's even got the hair. Um, yes, Satine. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's Nigel anymore. It's it's like a merging of both. Right, right. Um, it would seem. And and now we cut to one of the several interstitials of the Excalibur team, sort of jumping from point to point. Um, a la uh, the, the Scott Bakula uh, TV show, basically. Quantum leaping. Yes, they're definitely just quantum leaping randomly between places in this issue. And I think this is where, right, so this is my slight criticism, is that Claremont's throwing out all these ideas, and I'm like, well, uh, it's called the... I feel like they would be better expanded. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> He probably like wanted to do all these ideas, and then other stuff came into his head later. So he just like truncated this and moved on. That you know, that's something he does. He'll he'll fall in love with an idea and then like drop it once he has a new idea. So I think he had these these old ideas. He just wanted to get get out and get done with. But uh, the Excalibur team jumped to they say it's London, but it's really like the American uh, Old West with uh, the Excalibur. On uh, a, uh, I almost said buggy, 
but uh, a carriage. A wagon. Yeah. Yep. Stage and they're, they're being chased by Native Americans who are really Native Londoners. Yeah, this um, is like the first problematic part of this book. Yeah, because like apparently, according to this universe, uh, civilization or the civilized world started in America, and the Wild West is actually the Wild East in I don't, Europe. I don't understand, but having having a bunch of white guys dressed up in like nineteen forties Indian like garb is is is. I, I was like, really? This is this is where we're at. Okay, I guess. There's sometimes I feel like society hasn't come a long way, but then sometimes I feel like we have. Yes, we've at least come past that. Um, so we can at least be happy about that. I don't even understand what um, Kitty's supposed to be wearing though. So like, and why Megan has transformed into a frog? Yeah, the best maybe. thing about it is that um, is wearing uh, sort of. The typical sort of hooker with a heart of gold western girl outfit. Oh yeah, he's great. And then uh, Captain Britain, whose outfit has turned into like a cowboy uniform, is wonderful. Um, I do like the fact that him, Captain Britain, and um, Kurt um, danced at yes. one point. It's <laughs> so good together. And Kurt's like, we should totally do it again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Cap is like, uh, 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 um, uh, forget about that, please. He's so like put off by it. But I also want to put out, point out that that Cap's hat has like a string underneath it, almost like a kid's like cowboy hat. So it doesn't fall off his head. It's quite cool. <laughs> like the idea, some of the ideas, like the totem pole, which has got widget at the top of it, and um, I forgot his name. Um, Alistair's just like tied to it. <laughs> Naked, almost. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of guys in tidy whities in this issue, too, which was odd. <laughs> um, yes. They're able to rescue Nigel, get back to the train. Um, Lockheed gives them a little bit of cover, flames, and then they take off. And that's interstitial one. Uh, and then we jump back to Gatecrasher, who um, the Technet team has traveled to Africa, the African nation of Ming. Bangwagi, which I'm pretty sure is not real, uh, which is so. This is the other problematic part. So they jump to this this African base. Uh, they teleport inside, and I like that before they teleport and start fighting, Geekcrasher like knocks on the door, and they open up like the window, almost uh, Wizard of Oz style. And she's like, "Hey, can we come in, please? We we gotta get something." Like she's so polite about it. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, uh, "No," so she's like, "Fine, I'm just gonna fuck you guys up. Let's do this." Mm, and they do. Um, we have some new members of the Technet, it would seem. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pharaoh, who's like a four-armed, sword-wielding dude, with fur, and Ring Toss, who fires rings out of its face. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Why not? Sure. So they're able to sneak in, and uh, we find James, who's been sort of tied to two pillars, like arms and legs akimbo, and even his like hair and mustache are like tied to the the pillars, which is crazy yeah. looking. And we've got Doc Croc and like uh, uh, a witch, African which is witch. drawn 
like really a witch, badly. yeah, witch doctor who's drawn in the most racist thing I've ever seen here. Yeah, it's, this is not good. Like, pause, silly Alan Davis. Um, this isn't good. This doesn't look good. Um, weirdly enough, it does look good because it's good art, but it's not good interpretations of people. Exactly. So. <sighs> Anyway, things happen. Uh, yeah, Gatecrasher gets gassed by Doc Croc, and she starts having hallucinations. But we cut to another interstitial, and where are we this time, Dan? In some sort of, um, I'd say like a 1930s Universal Monster um, yeah. <laughs> uh, place with uh, people. Um, Alistair and Rachel tied to an uh, operating or lab, lab table. Looks like they're going to have their brains swapped. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> Meg, Kitty's a vampire. Kurt's holding a green flamingo. Um, Megan's like a werewolf thing. <laughs> Cap's a duck. Yes. Which is the best. <laughs> Anytime they make fun of Cap right now, I love it. Yeah. Like Cap. Yeah. So basically, they've done this quest and they want their teammates back, is essentially where we we end at, we jump in at the end again of the story. Which I feel like Captain Britain the Duck would have been gold for at least an issue. Yes, uh, I would have loved it. But alas, no. Nope. We jump back to Africa and get Crashers in full hallucination mode. She sees the beauty of Africa, and people come in and sort of destroy it, kill all the animals just for their fur. Uh, people, like starving people, the slave trade. Uh, then James Braddock is sort of leading it all. And it's it's all just a way for Doc Croc to let Gatecrasher know what's happened. Um, so what do you think of uh, James Braddock after you see these, these couple of pages? Um... To be honest, I'm like, I already know, obviously, I've read this before, and like, I'm just like, should we, so he's being the, he's going to be the villain then, very soon. Right. <laughs> um, he's, a, he's a bad person. Yes, a very bad person. So, but apparently, yeah. Yeah, her, Kid Crasher's um, hallucinations continue, uh, Doc Croc appears as a giant crocodile, which leads to Gatecrasher figuring out what's going on. She starts choking out Doc Croc, and then her, like, lizard on her shoulder, a la Revenge of uh, the Jedi, uh, Return of the Jedi, starts, like, foaming at the mouth because he can't handle things. And Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's, like, taken out for the rest of the issue. He, he just, he's just gone. Um, and then we have another interstitial stand. And our, our, our team lands elsewhere. It doesn't even say. It's just like elsewhere, like British countryside here. And we have like, um, I don't even know what to say. We've got, I assume that's supposed to be Russian Captain Britain? Or Captain Britain like a Russian? Yeah, they call him Comrade Captain. Yeah. And then we've got sort of Kurt in his finest, whatever the hell, shoulder pads. Lots of shoulder pads. Um, his little suit, a little straw hat, and then we have um, Kitty dressed as a f- with, a, with a fruit basket on her head. Yes. 
and then bizarre, like the most bizarre thing happens, which is Megan and Rachel are in bed, and then they energy sort of touches each other, and they swap clothes. I wasn't sure if they swap clothes or they swap bodies. I, it wasn't yeah. really clear to me. And then they, one of them blames the other, and they swap back, and then it might be their world that they're in. Like, they may have actually finally got home, but Rachel's too powered up, which powers up Widget, and they go teleporting off. Right. And I'm like, is this necessary? <laughs> like, I know they're just throwing stuff in. I know he's just throwing stuff in to make it seem like their journey's really random, but right. it just feels bizarre to even have that as a plot point. Right. I, I gotta point out, I posted this on our Twitter account, but this this panel of the police officers talking in uh, sort of British English here was was the best thing. Mm-hmm. Who's, who's Prime Minister? Maggie. President? Ronnie Reagan, in it. Now Tutherfeller. <laughs> now Bush. Premier? Gorby. It's like, Jesus Christ. Is that what we say? Is that how we speak? I mean, I, that's exclusively how you sound when, when you talk, Dan. Obviously. <laughs> but we're, 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 again, elsewhere. We have James sort of freaking out. Uh, and his, his body is in, like, contorted in a weird, like, almost like S shape with his head on his shoulders. And uh, his hips sort of out. And uh, he's, he's basically in, like, a stripper's jock right here. Uh, and that's it. And he can kind of see the strings of reality. Is that how you would describe this? Yeah, and it's kind of weirdly creepy. Like Super he's creepy. Creepy as hell. Like, compared to the Technet, who are weird, he is just really creepy. Right. And so he thinks he's dreaming, uh, and, and he has... Because it's a dream, nothing matters. So he has no, you know, lack of compulsion to just, like, wreck people. Um, and he proceeds to just wreck the, the F out of all the, uh, the tech net here. He can just pull their cosmic strings and cause them to turn inside out or go unconscious or whatever he feels like. And, and these guys get effed up. Until, um, what's her name? Scatterbrain, who seems to bring him out of his days and Mm -hmm. he becomes more sentient. Which um, which makes him even more dangerous. <laughs> he seems to be enjoying murdering every single one of them. Essentially. Basically, yeah. Um, and uh, until finally he takes out like all of TechNet. Uh, Doc Croc wants to take uh, take him out, but uh, that doesn't happen either. And um, we cut back to another London. And where's this London? In like a post-apocalyptic nuclear wasteland, mm-hmm. um, essentially, and we have a Megan who is Captain Britain, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I kind of like the the uniform change, except for maybe the headdress, which was really odd looking. Yeah, it is a bit weird, but <laughs> um, I do like the fact that this it's, again it feels like something we could have really um, explored. But I like the idea that Megan's like, "You can come with us if there's nothing left," and the other Megan's like, "Well." In a couple of you know, in te- a couple of years or so many years, they might come back and they'll need someone to help them. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of sweet, but we'll never know. Nope. Any more than that. 
Guys, we're back to Brighton, and uh, Nigel Frobisher is there to collect his prize, his uh, reward here, which is James. They, they get in a car and drive off, and uh, we have Gatecrasher lounging around uh, with her tech net. Everyone's excited and happy because it was a success successful mission, uh, except that one of their uh, one of the dudes goes to take a shower, and they find an actual crocodile, like cyborg crocodile, in the bath, and he's like, oh my god! What is this? And I I love this. Like I, at first I was like, this is the dumbest thing, and then it went like like a, a total one eighty in my head. I was like, no, this is the greatest thing. Like it's <laughs> cybernetic crocodile. Yeah, let's let's go with it. Because I like the fact that clearly Jamie's just wiped their minds or something. <laughs> I'm just put them back into being, and they're just chilling, being happy. Yeah. And he just stood on the pier with his neck. Still, his head still resting on his shoulders um, to make him so creepy. I like Robot Croc. Yeah. So. I think I have like an old Marvel card or or something that has freaked out James Braddock on it because this looks so familiar to me. But uh, it, it never stops creeping me out the way that he walks and the way that he looks. And then finally, we get to another Elsewhere one final time, and we see that the train has crashed on some alien planet, and uh, it's kind of like exploded out the middle, and we see a few members of our Excalibur team, uh, like, passed out, and uh, it says, next, Kurt Wagner, Warlord. So, what did you think of all this? What did this all mean for you, Dan? Um... I feel like it was a. So we've been building up to the um, the whole technet storyline for a little while of what they're going to do now they're in in the real world, and not gallivanting around space. And that's the thing that's been building up, and I was like, oh, fair enough. So we're going to just like deal with that, and then in true Claremont style, the characters have that as the main story. Um, he has to like, well, we have to have the team in it, and so he throws in these like little vignettes, which. Have no real rhyme or reason. Some of them, uh, they're a bit, they're a bit fun. They're just a bit of fun, but it makes the issue kind of feel sort of, and um, what's the word? Just sort of um, empty. I feel um, like things, and people have achieved things, and I did have good fun reading some of it because it's ridiculous. But at the end of the day, I'm just kind of like, mm, it feels like filler. Um, it doesn't feel like the cross time cape is doing anything. We've just passed like five worlds because it didn't matter. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's weird. I enjoyed it, but I didn't really. Like, I won't remember it. That makes sense. Yeah. Aside from those couple of problematic pages, uh, I enjoyed the, like the wackiness of it. Um, I enjoyed how discombobulated everything was but at the same time you're right it is filler but it was nice to see gatecrasher get a little bit of like featured time yeah because like i said it's been building for them to do something for ages so it was mm -hmm. nice to see what they were going to actually do right and i do like that i do like i think they were a weird crazy 80s only sort of group of people yes <laughs> well I mean that's it was it wasn't a terrible issue. Um, I wouldn't say it was a great issue. Uh, there there are, are spots that really shine, but I'm really looking forward to the next issue, which, which seems to be focused on 
our main Excalibur team again with Kurt as uh, like uh, cosmic uh, cosmic Conan here. What, what's the guy? What's the one? Uh, the story with the guy who's on Mars. John Carter. Yeah, it's kind of like John Carter-ish looking cover coming up. All right, should be. To be honest, it should be interesting. Hmm. Always nice to see some more cat. Yes, Kurt featured is is always welcome. So that was that was Excalibur fifteen. Uh, let's move on to Exiles number one. Which, if um, Excalibur overdosed on the wacky, this went in a very different um, direction. Yes, and. Um... Another issue with covering is obviously means a lot to you. Um, the generation where X one um, you remember fondly. Mm-hmm. This cover, um, this cover was um, the first comic book I bought uh, when we finally, when me and my family finally settled, sort of settled in around like the, my dad. We used to travel a lot, and we finally settled down and then i went to a comic book shop and this this issue of exiles and an issue of extreme x-men shame on me oh boy um were were bought at the same time and so when i look at this cover i'm like oh yes that's that when that happened (laughs) in a a tiny comic book shop called armadillo Hmm. literally called armadillo so i look at it and i'm like oh i actually quite like this cover i do too it's as mournful as the inside should be. It's got um, Nocturne sort of on her knees, kind of holding herself, looking down at a rose that reminds her of her lost love. And uh, it's it's really appropriate. And, and uh, we have sort of... I don't actually remember if the last issue had the same penciler, but I do enjoy Calafiori's uh, pencil work here. Yeah, last last issue was McCone, and obviously the front cover was Calafiori as well. So mm-hmm. what's this one? Um, creatively, um, obviously I don't have it in. I'm not a Marvel Limited for this one, so I just have like writer Drunic. Obviously, it's uh, Jim Calafiori. I don't know who the inker is of this. It's all at the, the the end of the issue. Ah, so the colorist is um, according to me is Transparency Digital, and it's right. still Paul Tatron as Lilera, but. Um, like with my collection, I have like eight names <laughs> that could be the Incas. Right. So. <laughs> Who knows? But, um, yeah, this is a different... I actually read them in this order. Mm-hmm. The order we're doing is how I read them. Yeah, me too, me um, too. And this was a massive change of pace. Right. Like, if we have wacky, now we have like mournful, emotional sort right. of... Um, so we've complained a lot about uh, Knock Ten not getting much um, screen time at all, mm-hmm. and this issue is all about filling out the blanks of of what we don't know about her and um, her relationship with John. And so we start with the inevitable TJ crying because um, if you remember. Uh, Ah, uh, Warpath. Is he called Warpath? No, Thunderbird, isn't he? Um, mm-hmm. I, I always get them... I shouldn't get them mixed up because one died and the other one was in X-Force. <laughs> um, but Thunderbird um, turned into a giant, weird, tailed monster. The full embodiment of war. 
and uh, defeated Galactus, but also ended up killing himself in the process. And um, we start this issue with a recap of basically them teleporting away with TJ being extremely emotional. And then we um, sort of catch up with the present. Uh, Morph, uh, as great as he always is, comes in to talk to TJ and invite her to join the rest of them to watch some um, TV or see some porn, um, as he would like to. Uh, <laughs> out. Apparently the girls wanted porn. Yes, of course. And I love um, the little things here, but it's um, party naked, then it's party almost naked. Yes. In the next panel. Because <laughs> uh, TJ's having none of it, um, basically. Yeah, he jumps in his shirt and says, party naked. He's got uh, like a bucket of chicken. It's like, yeah, let's have fun. He's like, well, maybe not that crazy maybe just medium crazy so party almost naked and then this uh it's like a cup of fried chicken instead of a bucket (laughs) (laughs) i just like the fact that like he he, he, jumps on the bed um in sort of a onesie and his hair's his hair is in rollers um remind me of the things from what they call in greece yes girls in greece yeah and um tj just doesn't want to have fun and once he sort of gets the hint, he goes back into his, cost- his actual costume. And um, it's quite a touching moment. It um, is, it is. When he says, I miss him too. And like, you know, if you change your mind, come help. And so what happens now is TJ sort of looks at these roses and we go through some flashbacks. So we start at just before they fight the Phoenix. And um, Thunderbirds walk around that weird alien garden. TJ joins... Jump- um, joins him. They have a nice little chat um, about Ferdinand the bull, mm-hmm. um, the story, and how they both interpret it slightly differently. Like TJ thinks, you know, he's a bit of a coward, but um, Thunderbird's obviously like he's not a coward just because he doesn't, just because he likes flowers, blah blah. Um, and it's quite a nice scene, and they find <laughs> find a flower that smells like bread, which was just bizarre. But it's alien, <laughs> fine. And then, then we jump forward to when they were about to fight the Hulk, and it's just um, talking about TJ's talking about like um, how Kurt in her universe didn't mind going to public school, but Wolverine is not happy about her going to like public school. Would rather have her be at the institute, and they're basically just getting to know each other. And they talk about they talk about more, which is quite fun. Um, and I'm, I generally really like I'm like where was all this like this should have been these scenes could have easily been inserted into the issues from the previous yeah yeah I was I felt exactly the same I was like why didn't we have any of this before it's not like everything was super well paced in the other issues you could have adjusted things and fit this in and made more organic but at least we get it now this is true because then it would have given more um, um, impact to his death and her upsetment rather than what it, what it oh was. yeah it was so sudden it was like oh yeah we're kind of dating and oh yeah by the way I'm pregnant and oh uh, uh, I guess we have to leave him it was so sudden because like it's all about it's right so they're using they're using um, certain things Widdick is using certain things to like frame these two characters as one being free and one being not so free 
in the way they carry themselves. And as we move on to um, post-Hulk and Thunderbird is beaten, Hulk, we have like TJ freaking out about how awesome he is, and they talk about um, what it's like to meet, um, what it was like Thunderbird to meet himself again, but mm. in a different reality. And this all leads up to them kissing for the first time, which is which is a really nice moment. And then it, I like the transition between like this really nice first kiss to um, they're now on the planet, just which is just the world's just covered in the Savage Land, and. Um, Thunderbird's very pra- practical about it all and pragmatic and it's kind of like this is stupid we shouldn't really be having like any relationships right. even though TJ's like well um, Mimic and Blinker in a relationship and um, they have a bit of a fight Can I point out just... how much I really enjoy the subtlety that Calafiori uh, like puts into TJ's face like you can see the emotion, and it's not like over exaggerated. You can it feels very realistic. So you can see all of her thoughts just like on her face right away. It's it's really great. And you know, if I was going to complain about the artwork, it's that we don't get almost any of that on um, uh, Thunderbird. It's it's like, uh, and I I know that he's almost like more machine than man kind of at this point. And there's a reason for it, but it, it felt kind of strange to me to have one character who's so emotive and one character who's so robotic. You know what I mean? But isn't that, that not connected to the idea the idea of the theme of freedom and Oh yeah, uh, it is. It, like I think it just felt so stark to me. I I it's not like he'll smile slightly and you're not quite sure if he's smiling or not. Like, he gets emotional, but you never really see it on his face. I don't know. Maybe until, I'm, I'm being too nitpicky here. Until the next page, anyway. Because um, um, we jump into the bit where they were bodyguards for Tony Stark. And Thunderbird has a conversation. And we find out why he's sort of... It wasn't uh, really anything to do with them possibly dying in the next, like, ten seconds or whatever. It was mainly to do with the fact that he doesn't understand why anyone would like him. As a person, right, and we have like the first time he actually does show emotion, right, when he's calling himself a monster, and um, it's really, really sort of bizarre how these characters didn't have much emotion <laughs> to begin with, or have much to do, and now here we're getting like full on the full on treatment. Mm-hmm. And the annoying thing is, is it sells Thunderbird as a character, and now he's no longer in the book. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> So they, 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 they reconcile and they make up and um, before we fast, we go back to the school world just before he basically dies and this is where we find out she's pregnant um, and the, it's really a happy moment for both of them and that they will carry on fighting and then um, it cuts to present day she's still in the room, she's holding the uh, roses and we find out that she had an abortion is what I'm going to put together with that one. Well, I think they uh, said that, that, like, the issue after she was pregnant and they jumped, and I don't remember if there's a time skip, but they had said, like, she lost a baby, like, right away. Yes, it, it, was, it was like, no, we're not actually going to deal with any of that. Yeah, this, this phrase is more like she went out and, it uh, does. to me, it more like she's gone out and um, had an abortion because she couldn't live 
with what's happening without him. Oh, no, no. It, this does frame it that way, but it, it's very contradictory to what we saw previously. Yeah, I, I remember now because it makes it seem like it's a, a, a just it, um, like Padme dying because she was sad. Right, um, yeah, yeah. It's like an emotional response, which can happen. Um, but this one frames it very much like she went out and purposely did it. Right. Um, which I think is more powerful. Yes, yes. Um, and to be honest, the whole issue... Um, right, so I really enjoy this issue. It's actually really good, like, yes. character piece, both of them. For it's certain. so frustrating. It is so frustrating that in issue 16 we get um, this wonderful, like, sort of relationship between these two characters. We learn a lot about TJ. We learn a lot about Thunderbird. Widdick sells them both to the reader, and then it's kind of like, this should have happened... Ten issues ago, yeah. <laughs> the only explanation is obviously he didn't even have these ideas. Like he was like, they're just gonna get together, and then I might talk about it later, mm-hmm. sort of thing. And it's great to have like a flashback episode uh, uh, to sort of flesh out those con, con- that context. But it, I, I'm frustrated that this wasn't in the rest of it because then it would have meant more when he died, and TJ def- would have been more of a character. Definitely would have. It's it's a shame we didn't get any of this before. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned that earlier in the review. It's just like, why now? Um, but no, this is super powerful, and I really enjoy this issue. Uh, not just for the story, but for I, I really like the the, the change in artwork here. It was it was a nice change of pace from uh, Excalibur, obviously, but also to to slow down with a member of this team who we haven't really talked to before and really sort of dive in their head and get to know them without it being it's not like overdone either it's like the right amount of emotion and insight without like going overboard it's it's it's, they really hit the sweet spot for me in this issue i know and i think visually it's it's got a lot of um because obviously it's post 2000 so um brian hitch's influence is everywhere so we've got a lot of wide uh, screen panels and letterbox panels, but I do think it's very more driven visually um, as opposed to constant the words carrying most of the emotional weight. I think the characters do quote-unquote act as opposed to just be static imagery. And I think there's a lot of like lot to be said about like the artwork and the colour work and like the mini vignettes are all coloured slightly differently. Yes, like, yes, uh, yes. Which uh, which which helps sort of break them up visually anyway. And I generally think it's a really wonderful single issue. Um, and it's probably my favorite of the three. It's hard to say. <laughs> it's it's. Yeah. I would say it's better than the Excalibur issue for sure. Oh um, yeah, definitely. Mm, no, yeah, I was so surprised. I was like, oh, we're going to focus on Nocturne. Good. Uh, we should finally, and then I read the issue. It's like, oh my god, that was really, really well done. And it's not like we don't think Judd Wittick can write a good story. It was just, I, I think, among the three series we read uh, so far, this is the one that's really up and down. It can be good or it can be quite bad, and, and this was quite good. So it was wonderful to, to see all the pieces sort of come together here. I do feel like he's starting to hit his stride, which is mm-hmm. weird because I think he. Um, spoilers, I think he leaves for a little bit soon. 
term of thirty. Hmm. So I can't remember how that works. I can't remember how that works out. But I do feel like he hits his stride a little bit here. Definitely. Um, probably out of all the issues so far, it might be the standout one for character. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's hard because there's that really good um, one about uh, Cal. Yeah, that was just... great too, yeah. I think when he does do a uh, uh, will focus on one character kind of thing, he really yeah. does yeah. work. But we'll see. Going yeah. forward. Next next issue has a very sort of random, nondescript cover, just like everyone's standing there. And you have no idea what it's going to be about at all. They're just, just every member is just standing for you to look at. So I'm totally clueless on what's happening <laughs> next. But well, enough, that image that image is the back image of, of my collection. Is that image? Oh, great! Yeah, it's just like a team, it's just a random team shot, isn't it? Yes, it's high one. Yep, just like uh, we need a random cover. Uh, hurry up, please! All right, sure. <laughs> and and MU has uh, McCone and Calafiore both listed as as pencilers for the next issue. So I don't I don't know what that means. Uh, the cover, just looking right now, looks more of a McCone cover, but uh, maybe he just did the cover. That's not McCone. Okay. All right. Well, we'll 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 cross that bridge when we get to it. But uh, really welcome issue. Um, Hi. All right. So I guess we'll move on to Generation X number four, which is a holiday uh, special. That I want to say was like in my stocking for Christmas one year, which is why this is so uh, uh, wonderful to read. It's so memorable for me. Um, but uh, this this is one of those unique ones where everything's in like a holiday border. We've got like little elves all over the panels here, uh, like commenting. A nice little weird touch. Um, but on the cover, what do we have here, Dan? We have um, a lot of digital Generation X uh, font. Um, yeah. We have <laughs> a bauble X. We have, um, like you said, the border, which is little bells. And it's, I really like the color. They call the bells yellow, and it goes or like yellow or red, and it goes from like a purple, blue, purple mm-hmm. sort of. And then we have like a little story. So we have M in trouble with the law, Chamber finds a butterfly, which is my favorite. Um, Banshee in a load of trouble, Husk and her new mentor, the White Queen, a disgruntled and squished skin sink and jubilee, and the return of a major villain. A major quote unquote villain <laughs> who we just talked about on, on Jason's podcast. And I swear you were like, I've never seen this guy before in my life. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I don't know who he is. Like, I clearly have seen him many times, I just deleted him. I do like the fact that the elves are putting like panels into place. I yes. think that's quite cute. So yes. So we start right, off. So... Yeah, go ahead. You go for it. Take the lead. Right. Um, you can tell the story. I just want to say right. So that one panel of M um, with the uh, candy cane in her mouth for mm-hmm. some unknown reason, that is possibly one of the most beautifully coloured panels I've seen in, like the last <laughs> week. Just, it's a tiny. It's like almost like a, 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 a like a stamp panel. Like it's tiny. Yes. Um, but I think it's just so beautifully coloured. I love everything about it. You could say that about all the issues, the rest of the issue. Yes. But for some reason, it catches my eye immediately. Um, it's a great two panels. Like the the kids 
crammed in the back and M not crammed is just the best. In the front, yes, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we've got the little elf uh, on the outside or gnome sort of like narrating what's going on, introducing who the people are. And our our Gen X team is is on the road trying to to get somewhere, but the the road is being blocked off by the police and uh, our our Generation X team is going to try and figure out what's going on. Um, and oh, yeah. this leads to a two-page spread with like all of the snow all over the place, and I, I love it. These are like giant snowflakes. There's no rhyme or reason for why they're so huge, but I, I, I can't say I, I'm complaining in any way. That's how snow falls, right? <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah, almost like card-sized snowflakes, but it's <laughs> like the over-exaggeration for Baklo is always welcome. I, I do love, I and I love autobike, right? so... Lobdell has always been um, uh, a mixed bag for me, but Generation X has always been like the highlight of his work mm-hmm. um, for me. Just love some of the sort of banter, like Banshee basically telling Skin to cover up because he doesn't want any trouble without telling him covering up because you look weird. Yes, um, <laughs> so I was quite cute, and I, I do like that. Um, as always, I love how M is super clever and knows everything. And they studied the um, topography of the area, and there was because they said that there's a bridge closure, but there's no bridge that's closed because there is no bridge. Um, and I love, yeah, I love, I love both that and, and Jubilee rolling down the window and being like kind of stupid and snarky with the police officers, like, "Oh, shucks, officer, we've never seen maple trees before." It's... Yeah, I'm sure Banshee winks at the officer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is brilliant. Um, yeah, it's just so far so good, and I really like the narration from the weird elves. It's it's like a well, they call it a fable um, in the because we we have to um, talk about the little um, creators box, which has been turned into a reef for holiday pleasure, and I didn't notice that one of the elves is a policeman. Yes, <laughs> with a little star in his hat. Yeah. <laughs> And the other ones like just just um, eating a candy cane. Are these elves like representative of of, of our characters, or they just randomly just? I think they're just randomly designed to go along with what's happening. It's hilarious. I do, I do love that there's like page four. Like you'll see the elf again on page four, where it's like walking towards page four. Oh yeah, it's, yeah. It's kind of uh, outside the panels. It's walking by a sign, like an arrow sign. that says page four this way. <laughs> like the those little gems are, are like sprinkled throughout this issue, uh, but we should mention that uh, we do have Lobdell as writer, Bacalo on artwork, uh, inks by Mark Buckingham, colors by the Buche and his crayons. I didn't quite get that one uh, <laughs> at all, and and lettering by Starkings and his craftsmen. So they really go weird uh, with this. <laughs> it's all in good fun. Yep. And then, I do like that the el- the elves sort of like break the in the actual story as well as outside of the panels. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah. Because we cut to the next page, and one of the elves is like standing next to uh, this this ice cream truck that spoiler has one of the uh, the villains inside. It's just like watching from actually inside the story now. Um. But there's there's like a police standoff at a school, and uh, the policemen are yelling at uh, the mutant who's inside, who's taken hostages. Like, come on out, 
Uh, we're we're going to bring your parents here. And uh, at the same time, has like snipers trained on uh, on a window trying to shoot this this kid. So, you know, we, we talked a lot about on Jason's podcast about like the politics of the Xbox uh, and how they're leaning currently. And this was a nice throwback to really what the X-Men used to stand for. <laughs> Even if it's a little ham-fisted here, it's, it's still like, okay, this is what the X-Men are really about. Pretty much. Like, it, it, it truly is like a, a sort of moral tale <laughs> by the end of it. Yeah. And we see the inside of the school, and there's this sort of deformed kid who's talking to his teacher and saying, it's not fair, you were supposed to teach me. And the teacher's like, I'm sorry, but they wouldn't let, they wouldn't let me. And uh, he's sort of taking care of the other little kids here. Um, and it's, it's, it's like you feel the emotion and you can see like the sweat beads on the, on the teacher's face as he's really frustrated and nervous with the situation. Um, you know, anything you want to add? I think um, it manages to capture sort of like the idea that like, this kid's really confused and like mm-hmm. he's just accidentally holding them. It feels like it's more like an accident that he's holding them hostage yes. as opposed to like he's doing it on purpose. Right. And it's, it's quite sad. It's, it's, it's very sad. It feels sad already. Yes, it does. Um, and it's not like he has a weapon or he's like threatening violence. He's just like, hey, I want to talk to the teacher. Everyone's freaked out because he looks weird. Yeah, and it's, that's just it. And stupid then, Yeah, definitely stupid. <laughs> stupid people. But we come back to the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters inside the biosphere, and we have Penance, uh, wonderfully drawn here as well. Uh, super cute, super like lovely red hues as she's just enjoying the butterflies inside this biosphere. She is just... Stunning. Like that picture is just. I feel like um, Bacalo, uh and Penance, like Penance is his like pet project or mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. design wise, because she's just on another level to a lot of the other things in here. Like drawn, everything else is beautiful to look at, but wow. Yes. And we get this great little moment. We had a moment uh, when they first sort of, I don't want to say captured Penance, but like tracked her down where Jonah was there to like reach out to her and he's he's back again sort of reaching out to a a kindred spirit in the biosphere and offering her is it apples is it a pear i think uh, it's apple mm-hmm. and they just like kind of silently acknowledge each other and bond and have a few apples and it's a really it's a lovely page here and we get to know a little bit more about him that he's not comfortable talking with his psychic uh, telepathy chattiness mm-hmm. so it's like just it's just the little things of like dribbling in a little bit more character work here and there yeah and wouldn't Which... you you know it but we got husk sort of eavesdropping on on the two and more hinting that husk might have some a, a thing for jono and uh the white queen in the baggiest sweater ever uh sees her and like kind of scolds her for for doing this and it's nice well, little... <laughs> go ahead I do love the whole like um, you you remind me of when I was younger and she's like is that is that a compliment or a warning <laughs> <laughs> yes 
it's a nice little interplay here of we haven't really seen Husk and, and the White Queen interact that much. It's been more of uh, Emma and M interacting. So seeing Husk here sort of go back and forth with uh, with Emma was kind of nice. And I, I quite like the attention. I know it's crazy, but I like the attention to detail that um, Emma's more like a platinum blonde. It would seem yes. Um, like she, her hair's more literally more white than pages, even though they're both blonde. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like it's a nice because like it's just those little attention to details that help flesh out everything else. Mm-hmm. No, totally. And we sort of leave that part of the X team and go back to the main crux of the story. So outside the school, um, the parents are like uh, talking to the police officers, and then we cut to this ice cream truck, and inside is. Uh, a screen like a TV screen with a fuzzy person on it being like hey I'm Nanny go go do the stuff and uh, the guy inside is like I'll make you proud of me Nanny and you're like oh who's this creepy person um, it's it's the orphan maker but uh, I, I kind of like the jumping to the next page even the elves are kind of tired with Nanny maker because one of them's just like sleeping there outside the panel and I'm I'm thinking, are we are we to believe that Nanny the Arthur Maker is the character that's been in the little interludes, the one that keep the the yes. suit that keeps falling off? Him? It's got to be right. That that's the only thing that makes sense. I um, yeah, I I generally love the little elf that's just having a chill, and I kind of love the whole sort of this whole sequence of like a stealth banshee, and the team doing things nicely and quietly. Yep. Banshee's able to use his, his powers to sort of knock one of the policemen, the snipers, unconscious. And he asks Sink to sync up with the mutant that's inside the school to see what, what, the, what they might be dealing with. And we cut to another page with, I, I want to say the paneling in, in this, this issue is, once again, just like perfect. Because the next page is like intercut panels, like triangles of what everyone's up to and what they're doing and how they're prepping. Um, and... It, you know, some of these panels are like, as you mentioned, the elves are lifting them into place. So like they're sort of out of whack and, you know, incorporating all of that into the border with all the, 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 the extras at the outside. It's like Bacalo put in a lot of time on, on this issue. Pretty much. It's like we've got like a little slit. Like we literally have a Santa scene. Um, the top of the top of this, the, the panels is the house's chimney. Mm-hmm. With like a little reindeer in the sleigh, and then at the bottom we've got Santa literally delivering presents underneath a tree. Right. Um, and then on top of that, you've got like um, a nice little sort of. It reminds me sort of like an anime cut, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like the way the, the triangles. Um, so we've got like Sean and uh, Sync um, basically doing what they're doing, and then. I, I adore the fact that Skin has just got that uh, beanie hat completely over his eyes the yeah. whole time. <laughs> she looks so cool, and mm-hmm. like the little the little tiny teenager inside me that loved well the kid that loved me this, loved this was like he's so cool. Um, and then you've got M just completely wiping out a dude, and then there's Jubilee doing her little little business, being Jubilee. Um, and yeah. at the same time, like the dialogue's really going really well i like the fact that jubilee sort of mingles in with the crowd finds someone that hates mutants and is like yeah mutants are bad and then she decides to go do something about it yeah but, she's, um, she's like yeah banshee uh 
I guess I should report to Banshee like he suggested. Emphasis on should. And, and later on, Banshee like counts on Jubilee disobeying his orders anyway. <laughs> Which is a really nice touch. Yeah. Really. And, and we see inside the school again, and they're like yelling at this, this poor kid who's like yelling back like, Hey, you don't care about me. You only care about the pretty kids getting hurt. Which, yeah, obviously. Um, and we see that the teacher is definitely going through something uh, physical. Like, he's having trouble with all this. Yeah, he really is. And Sink... Go ahead. Sink, obviously, Sink can't really... Weird, weirdly, Sink can't get a lock on inside the school, but he gets a lock on the ice cream truck instead. Which reveals um, the most famous of excellence. Um, <laughs> and we see the parents try to talk to this this kid and the teacher has a a heart attack and dies as Jubilee climbs in through the sewers and Banshee's like well I'm counting on Jubilee to already be inside and it's it's like great character stuff here like the 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 inner dynamics of how everyone interacts and how Banshee already knows his students and what they're going to do and how they can be relied on is wonderful and I, I love the bottom of this panel, which is the start of the book is 12 pages that way, and the end is 10 pages the other way. Yes. <laughs> that was cute. But yeah, and then the next page we get the um, orphan maker in an... Uh, like I said to you before, he looks like a Sonic the Hedgehog villain. Yes. Um, uh, I don't even... I, I'm going with my same statement. I don't know who he is. <laughs> like, I don't think I'm... It just, it just, he's just here. He, just, he, just, he explains his um, uh, mo of like killing, making orphans of young mutants because their parents are evil, um, and that's about it. Yeah, that's so it's, it's because the nanny will take better care of the mutants than the parents ever would. Yep. You know, we saw this character in uh, Uncanny War of the Realms. Yes. And it was like a really boring design. And not that this is the greatest design, but this one looks like they put real effort into what's actually going on here. Because this is a new suit from as well, so though I must admit there's some design similarities to Mplate um in places. Yes, yeah. But that's that would he's a he's a one and done villain, it's not as if it's the well he's not a one and done villain, but you know what I mean he's he, he has little to no impact it would seem. Oh, definitely, um, definitely. He can make weapons with his fist. Um, so I don't know. I don't even know what his powers are. Suit weapons? Who knows? No idea. But he like says he's gonna kill the kids, uh, the kids' parents, and he's, he even points out like, look, they're already getting into the car to leave anyway. They don't care about their son. And uh, Banshee steps in, uses his powers to almost like disintegrate the bullets and catch the the fragments that come out of the gun. And he realizes that they're bone fragments, which is odd. Um, yes. And then M just like comes in and like knocks the crap out of this guy. Yeah. Just smash. Yeah. Um, and she tells us he's from X Factor, um, so we should go read that. And he knocks M through a uh, police car, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then um, Skin comes to the rescue. Basically, he, he like juts his skin into all the little cracks and, and holes in the, in the suit and kind of short circuits uh, orphan maker here. 
And as that's going on, Jubilee is stealthily climbing the stairs with like dirt and grit all over her face from the sewer. <laughs> and she uh, she's trying to get into this classroom, and all the kids run away. And they go, "Hey, out of the way, lady!" She's like, "Lady, that's a scary thought." But you know, now she is kind of like the the teacher. She's really embraced that role. It's, it's amazing to see that that change. I mean, it it is like. 20 years later obviously but still <laughs> it's nice to think of that yeah she used to be the little teen character and now she's like uh, a proper teacher at the school uh-huh. and she I do ch- like the whole I do like the fact that she she, fingered, she like finger guns up before she goes in right and she jumps in and she sees that there's really nothing to take care of here unfortunately this teacher has died in, in this kid's arms, and he he just wants help. And and Jubilee's kind of like heartbroken a little bit by this. Yeah, and even when um, Sink jumps in, which I still adore his horror being a rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, "There's nothing to do. Everything's primo." Um, it's quite sad to be honest. It is. But anyway, outside, uh, Arthur Maker runs away because um, our team kind of just outpowered him, essentially. Yeah, he gets in his ice cream truck and Banshee's like, don't worry, it's not like he can get far in this ice cream truck, just like warps out of town. So he's like, well, yeah. uh, my bad. Oh, well. <laughs> then we get like, a dr- skin drops in the idea that he gets headaches when he uses his powers, which may or may not come into fruition later. Mm-hmm. And we kind of just get like we find out that the the kid in the school wasn't a mutant after all. He's just um, what was it? Jubilee says he's just born ugly. Um, yeah, which feels like an old way of you know we you wouldn't phrase it that way now, but more of just saying he he was born with some deformities and everyone treated him terribly because of that. And and it, it, it's a really nice moment, even though it's like a little you know hitting you on the head a little bit hard, but. They say apparently he was born that way, feared and hated just for being different, and skins like a mutant without any of the benefits of being one of us. And Banshee says, but he is one of us, son, in the one way that truly matters. And it's like that feeling of the the empathy that is totally, totally missing from anything we do now in the the X-Books. Exactly. And the, the, the little elf is like, before we say goodbye, we have this random ending. Because... It's like, I, like, the issue ends really well, really nice. Like, using the um, fell between the cracks idea and that, that all of these kids that are at school are school kids that fell between the cracks. And that, you know, this is the way mutants are... The family... and not, It is just a really nice sort of... It is heavy-handed, but it kind of reminds us why we like these Xbox anyway. Yeah. Um... And the whole issue has been really just great. And then all of a sudden it just, well, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, we had an event to start off with this this team. And we've got four issues, so that's enough before we have another event <laughs> to come in again. But uh, this is where Age of Apocalypse uh, takes over. And this is the M-Cron crystal just, like, crystalling up everything. And it says, closed for renovations. Uh, as Jubilee sort of explains the the press the press briefing here and i love she's like talking and the crystals slowly cover her up and 
She's talking about, oh, in the next issue, we introduce this trio of super villainesses, which I think we, we need a lot more of, if you ask me. And she's going into stuff. And I, I kind of love this little, this little, like, fun comedic moment here. Yeah, it's quite cool. And the fact that she's wearing Santa's hats just hilarious mm-hmm. but um i do like the fact that she's she's like this is real, basically this is crap what mm. is this crap is essentially what she said mm. and then um yeah she's all crystal over and that's it because Worse. next time we're jumping to generation next which will be age of of x-men i don't know dan what you want to do i mean it doesn't really have that much bearing on the gen x story if you want to do a couple more episodes of just like our regular scheduled programming and then do one that's that just covers the four gen next issues or if you want to do uh you know a special issue uh, rather a special episode next time of just those issues and then we'll do a regular afterward we'll we'll have to figure out the scheduling but um exactly yeah i have I, no idea how you'll do it but we will do it somehow mm-hmm. and i i do you know, as far as as memory serves, really like that miniseries uh, for what it does. Yeah, I think it's one of the better ones, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll come to that. Unfortunately, it's one of the only ones I don't own. I own a few of them in those golden foil. Oh right. And I've got I've got the one with Jubilee, uh, so that's the Gambit one. Yeah. But I don't have uh, Next Gen because it was impo- It seemed impossible to get hold of. <laughs> hmm. So that's too bad because the the gamut one's kind of I wouldn't say one of the better ones. <laughs> I have because I, I got because it was like I think they were all out um, on in a shop and I think I had enough money to get so many mm-hmm. so I just bought as much as I could. Right. So I, I obviously picked up the Excalibur one because it's got care in it. Right. And I think I picked I've got amazing because uh, Joe Mad's art I've got amazing. X-Men, I think that's the, what that one's called. Yes, yes, that one, was, that one looks really one, good. I got the one with Storm in. I got the Gambit one because Jubilee was in it because I thought that was the Gen X one. Right. That was silly. Because I was like, oh, there's Jubilee on it. And then I got it. Um, I can't remember. I'm sure I've got one one more. Hmm. But I can't, can't remember. I didn't pick up Weapon X and uh, X-Man. And obviously not um, next, Generation Next. So. Right. Well, so. at least you got the Joe Mad one because uh, that's got Blink in it and uh, the best uh, Sabretooth. And, uh, it's my favorite one. Yeah, it's really good. I really like that one. But yes. But, you know, as far as issue four went, uh, this might be my favorite issue of the three that we read. Um, I-, I think uh, Exiles is a close second. But I really, when I mean, it's hard to get upset at Bacalo artwork and. You know, a nice little one one shot story with some fun character interactions here. It was it was a good read. I think um no it was it's still on power of all the things we it's still one of the best like the best X books at the moment. Um I'm gonna give X Exiles the um top top prize for me, mainly because it's surpri- sometimes it's surprising when Exiles can actually be on form. Um, right, right. Um Gen X has basically stole the show. Since, it's, since it came on the podcast. <laughs> so I thought it's only fair. I do think it's a... Um, Gen X is a really good... Like, that issue is just a really good, insanely weird um, border idea. But it works really well as well. Um, and I love the fact that... Talking about the border, the border's actually erased when we're back at the school. 
like it's not around the other in the biosphere. It's not around um, Emma and such forth. It's only at, at, at the um, with Jubilee and that. That's the only time the border's there with the elves. Hmm. They literally vanish from the US, which I thought was an interesting choice. Right. But image-wise, the art just blows. It's just such a so good. It's like blows everyone else out of the water. Even like Alan Davis does really well, but I think some of the problematic imagery that he, he conjures up in this yeah, issue kind of like yeah. drags it down a bit. So I don't know. I think it's been really strong though for all three of like all three of them have been interesting in their own way. For sure. I mean this is a pretty good 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 week for us. So um yeah it was great great talking about these with you Dan. Uh, I think Hi. we'll we'll have this this up in a day or two. And uh, please, everyone, look for us on the, the most recent uh, Snick podcast with Jason. We talk about the current uh, X-Books, team books, which are, you know, if, if you're not reading, I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> That's some promotional material right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is great, Dan. Uh, I think, well, maybe over Twitter, we'll we'll announce how we're going to cover... Uh, Gen next, if it'll be like a special episode or or how we're going to do it, but uh, look for that. Um, and how can everyone find us? Um, on Twitter, you can find us at Excaliburs One, and uh, we would like to hear from you, um, especially like if any of these issues have ever been sort of important in your in your life, or you remember them fondly from just a cover, for example. Um, you can also find us on Podbean. For slash Excalibros, you've got us on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere else you can hear podcasts. Basically, we're we're there. We are there. And and if if any of you really loves Orphan Maker and you can make a case for why they're a great villain, uh, please chime in as well. Yes, I'll try not to forget him this time around. Well, yeah, sure. In, in a year's time, we're, we're, we'll be like, oh, hey, remember that one character, that one Christmas issue? Who was that villain again? I'll be like, I've never seen him before yes. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, oh well. Alright, well, that's it for this week. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.